Hey everybody, this is Charles Hain here with the No Film School podcast for the week of April 19th, 2020, also known as United States COVID Shutdown Week 5. Uh, we've definitely entered that phase of the shutdown or the stoppage or whatever it is where it's hard to tell what week it is. So this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Adobe's new productions feature. We're going to be talking about the specs coming out from Red Komodo and them getting autofocus. We're going to have a really interesting Ask No Film School with sort of an exposure question. We're going to be talking about some deep cuts. All that this week on the No Film School podcast. I'm Charles Hain, and I'm here with Michelle De La Tour. Welcome, everyone. See you after the break. So our first story this week is Adobe in the middle of our shutdown. Adobe has done a bunch of generous things. They, the you know, Adobe... Uh, is free for a couple months for some people. They have some features that are free for a couple months. They're doing some free stuff for students. They're definitely showing up. And then they've just rolled out a tool set that they first announced back in January called Productions. Just to give a little bit of the basic lay of the land a little bit. Traditionally, you know, there's like four major nonlinear editing systems. There's Avid, there's DaVinci, there's uh, Final Cut, and there's Premiere. And of those four, the one that's most famous for being great for a bunch of people working together on a project is obviously Media Composer. That is their powerhouse tool. Media Composer is really well designed for like 90 people to all work together on a project. Like the Olympics, where they have 30 editors in the Olympic Village all working, you know, for yes. NBC to cut stuff. It, that's always Media Composer. It always will be. Resolve has some really nice collaborative tool sets that are designed around single facility workflows. Um, they're really great for like, you know, I can have a colorist in one room, an editor in one room, a conform artist in another room, an assistant color, all working off a shared database. And that can work really well, but it's a little more setup intensive than Media Composer is. Uh, you have to get the setup right. Once you get the setup right, it works well. Final Cut 10 is not really working on multi-user tools that I know of. But Premiere is really trying to crack that multi-user um market in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, they came out with uh, team projects and those can be either on the cloud or local. And um, those allow you to like, you know, if we're on the same network, I can, if I can open or close a project or I can lock it. So like I can lock a project. So I'm working on it and you can open it and you can like get things from it. And then uh, without affecting it, which is not something you could previously do really easily. So if we're in one facility, there's a bunch of editors and I'm in the middle of something, I don't have to close my project so you can open it. I can have it open. In January, they announced a whole new tool set called Productions, which is designed to take all of those tools they've been working on over the last couple of years much further. Productions is a much more sophisticated interface for building a, a bigger production where you're organizing and you're cross-referencing assets. You've got uh, ways to control media. The, the projects themselves are going to be much smaller. One of the big problems we had with the earlier version is, you know, I would open a, a project and I would have to open the entirety of someone else's project. And then I would like copy a sequence over from them to mine and it would have to copy all the master clips over. And then my project's getting bigger and their project's getting bigger. And it was just not mm -hmm. a really great workflow. Whereas with productions, it's been really designed from the ground up They've rewritten a lot of the software so that it's much more like 
streamlined to work with projects together. So how is this going to be useful for you guys working on projects? Well, like, let's say you're working on multiple episodes of a TV show. It's really common to have like a previously on and a next on in order to do those kind of things. Like they're called teases in television in order to do a, a tease like that. Usually you're opening up another episode and you're pulling some highlights out of that episode. If you're doing like a super tease where you're teasing like the whole season or something or multiple episodes, you're going to need to pull up multiple episodes and that's going to get a lot easier with productions. And believe it or not, you know, smaller and smaller production houses are making television shows. Um, you know, there's so much episodic content out there and episodic content, you know, usually involves breaking it up you want a separate project for every episode or sometimes even on big episodes, you might do a separate project for every reel. So this is going to be useful for those kind of um, worlds. Frustratingly, because I'm always annoyed by something, Productions does not currently work with Teams. So Teams is their like thing oh. where if you want it to be, if you want it to be over Creative Cloud, because that was the thing. I remember when Creative Cloud was first announced and half of my friends thought what Creative Cloud meant was, oh, the project file live mm -hmm. in the cloud. My media will live in the cloud. And like me and my buddy in California, can we can edit collaboratively? That is a feature you can pay extra for. It's not built into the native Creative Cloud and it's called Team Projects. But you cannot have a team project that is also part of Productions. The exact kind of users who are going to be excited about this are probably the kind of users who are already using Teams. So it's going to be sort of an interesting um, an interesting rollout to see how this takes off. Um, I, you know, I'm excited about it because I, I like, you know, multi-user is the thing I think Premiere really has to crack next. Um, you know, and I, it's something that like result, I mean, Media Composer, whatever they've won, uh, Resolve is really working hard on and they're doing that really great frame IO integration, which I think is a really smart move for mm -hmm. them. But Adobe's trying to push their own cloud and their own subscription and their own software. And for them to really take that to the next level, they need to have really sophisticated multi-user um, tool sets. And like, hopefully, hopefully this is the first crack at one from them. I am curious what this looks like in practice for a documentary or feature film. Because when I read the description of projects and and a proposed workflow, so someone might be working on different sections of a film inside their own projects, I think I have that right. What do you do when you're when you're done? Are people like bringing in different projects into projects or sequences into sequences? I can see how it works for TV shows. I think that you said. I think you hit it right. Is, is that's where the episodic world is where this becomes really helpful. I'm curious what the workflow is, though. And you could tell me, I, this is my first question when I heard about it, it, was how does it work when you're locked? Do you then have to bring everything back together? Question mark? I mean, my suspicion is that there has to be a way to save a production. Got it. You know, one of the things I try and really hammer home what, a, what an important habit it is to get in when you wrap a project to like save everything properly. Like I'm, I'm so worried about the future that like when I'm done with a project, I back up an archive of my project 
like including all the project files and all the media, but I will also include copies of that generation of the software, which was much easier in the smart. Final Cut days. Because it's so like, smart. Oh my well, God. Because like how many times have you tried to open something from four years ago and you're like, oh my God, like this is too many versions old of the software and my version's too new and I need to reinstall the old original version. And, you know, it, which is hard to do with Premiere because they make it difficult to download a version to save yes, with do. your thing, which is one of the many reasons I work in Resolve because you can just download a copy and keep it um so like i'll have you know a resolve database that'll have like it'll be saved with a copy of resolve 12.5 so that they're together in the folder so that if i need to get it back up i don't have to worry about compatibility um there has to be a way when you're done with a production to say all right i'm saving this whole production and it's saving all of the projects within it and so if i have you know if i have like i'm working on a feature film and i've broken it up into seven 20 minute reels for a 140 minute feature film the whole thing gets saved because how annoying would it be at the end of the production where you're like okay now we have to put right. all of this together so like is this production thing going to be something where i can open it back up and it makes sense and it's cleanly organized and everything's findable or is it going to be a complete complicated mess so like those are the things that i would like if i was considering doing my uh, an upcoming feature project in premiere those are the things i would deeply investigate um to to be sure that if I later had to, you know, when I'm done, it'll be relatively easy to turn it over. I'm excited to see Adobe making moves in this arena because I think they have to make moves in yeah. this arena to stay competitive. I, I'll, I'll be honest, when they first said, we're launching software called Productions, I was really hoping it was going to be like better tools for onset. Like, oh, yeah. And I was like really excited. I was like, ooh, Adobe Premiere Onset. It's like a, it's designed for like ingesting the media on set and like streaming it back That'd to post. Cool. And right, isn't that if you're gonna call it productions, isn't that what we're gonna expect? So Yes. A full suite. Yeah, you you've missed your naming convention there, Adobe. So interestingly, that was supposed to be our headline. That wasn't supposed to be tech news, although we veered into a little bit of tech there. Now we're actually <laughs> gonna talk about our full-on tech news this week. Our full-on tech news this week is footage is out from Red Komodo and specs have gone out to uh third-party gear developers. And Komodo, the new camera from Red, is gonna have phase detect autofocus, which is fascinating and interesting news for me first off it's roughly a 17 by 9 roughly super 35 millimeter sized sensor i know everybody's obsessed with full frame i know we really love the sigma fp back in december which is full frame i know full frame is great i gotta be honest the next camera i buy will probably be super 35 because i like having a little more depth of field with which to like get focus i only like i've shot a couple things full frame i got to shoot something on the lf last summer it was super fun but like I only like LF when like I have enough lighting to give myself a, enough f-stop to to really get focus, and I have like a wireless follow focus and a wireless video assist and a 50-inch monitor. Like that's when I like to shoot full frame. So I still love the Super 35 sensor size. I think it's a it's a sensor size I I, I get. So I don't mind that it's Super 35 millimeter sensor. It's a 6K sensor, which is exciting. But the interesting thing about Komodo is. Uh, there's some sort of wireless video built in. It's a $5,000 camera. So I'm assuming this means wireless to your phone. I'm assuming that like on Android or iPhone, there's an app and you'll be able to watch it. I'm not assuming that there's going to be some sort of dedicated zero degree wireless competitor of Teradek thing built into a $5,000 camera. That doesn't seem likely. It seems much more likely it's like Wi-Fi to a phone, I'm assuming. 
we don't have details on that yet. It's a four inch by four inch by four inch box that's been released. Um, I don't know if Red released that or if one of the th third party makers released that. They've gotten full schematics so they can design their accessories for it. It's an RF mount, which is the new shallower mount that came out with the... Uh, uh, Interesting choice. I know. I would have gone L mount. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but that is a really interesting... That is a bold move. Yeah, L mount, the open mount, the one that Sigma is supporting. And it's like designed for many people, but instead you went for the Canon specific one, which is just like, why? Except here's why. Here's my theory uh, as yeah. to why. Uh, go ahead. I think... I'm not 100% sure if they're working on PDF with Canon. You know, Canon has many things that they do really, really well. But Canon and Sony are the are the two tops for autofocus. And autofocus isn't something filmmakers really cared about until about five years ago. I mean, autofocus, I remember in film school, the only thing they said about autofocus was the first thing to know about autofocus is you turn it off. Um, Correct. <laughs> but about five years ago, autofocus started getting really good. Like really, really, yeah. really good. I remember I went to a Sony press event at a soccer game in Jersey two or three years ago, and they brought out the A9. And, you know, the Alpha 9 autofocus is like magic. You're literally, you're just like, I was on like 150 millimeter lens. It was full frame. I was panning around this soccer game at night in low light. And it just was like always sharp. It just like knew what I wanted in focus and focused on it. Um and we're in that zone where, like, you know, on Avengers Endgame, are you going to ever gonna use autofocus? No, because you have every focus tool you could ever need, and you're going to make choices about where focus is. On a documentary, would it be really nice to have autofocus? So if you're interviewing one of those people who's always leaning forward and leaning back and leaning forward and leaning back, autofocus just, like, keeps them in focus as they lean forward and lean back? Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. Yeah. I would love that because... You all know when you interview those people, if you ask them to stop doing it, they get really self-conscious. So you kind of have to let them do it. But then you're constantly yes. racking. So my guess is that it's that they're building the PDAF autofocus, assuming that people will buy the Canon RF mount lenses and the system is designed to work well together. I'm not I'm not saying they're working with Canon. Although, I mean, Red's collaborative, they work with people, but I'm saying that something like something about RF mount offered them some benefit for autofocus. Earlier when you were explaining the camera and the and whether or not it would work with a phone, it's probably possible that they designed it to work with that hydrogen uh, one I, phone. My, I, they, I, they definitely originally designed it to work yeah. with the hydrogen. <laughs> that was definitely the original plan. I think at this point they want people to forget oh, yeah. that they made that phone. Yes. Sorry, I put it in the pocket. Yeah, they wanted me to forget that. But I kind of in the back of my head was like, well, maybe they were just going to give you one of those phones when you bought the camera. <laughs> this is just like, here you go. It will be interesting also to see. I don't think there's any overlap, but I'm kind of interested to see what Canon rolls out in their NAB-ish announcement. Because if they're also announcing a, a camera that's below any sort of price point, it's like they're <laughs> they're not going to announce a competitor, like a competitive machine if they're working with. I actually, I, I doubt they're actually working with Red in any serious capacity. I just threw out the possibility of RF mount in case there was some sort of friendliness yeah. there. 
the like three to five thousand dollar price point they're not really competitive in the cinema space they should be it would be nice if they were but i I think they're putting we'll see it yeah it'd be interesting i mean it's for 10 years now they've been neglecting that space and really prioritizing the five to ten thousand dollar space where they can make a lot of money um Yes. I think, you know, there's volume in the $3,000 space, but frankly, they sell so many of their stills cameras in that space that I think they're happy to keep doing that for at least a few more years. All right, moving on. Our next section this week, deep cuts. So the first thing we should mention in deep cuts is NFS 60 is out. Yeah, so thank you so much for those of you who went above and beyond and completed our NFS 60 challenge, which was to make a very short film, a compelling story arc, if you will, or just a for fun film in 60 seconds or less. There is now a post on nofilmschool.com that has a list of all of the submissions. Go ahead and check all of them out. There are quite a few. And then some of our staff are going to go through and choose some of their favorites and talk about those elements too. So be on the lookout for that. So thank you for those of you who submitted your NFS. I almost said 360, which would be a cool challenge to NFS 60 uh, challenge with us. And we look forward to more challenges in the future. That's your quick cuts. All right. And then what's your deep cut? So I made a list of the films that I had never seen, and I started with Alien, which is fitting for the current climate because literally, I'll just stop there. I won't say anything about that, Um, but it's fitting for the current climate. Um, It is classic, and it still holds up. I do realize it's fun. what's funny is we ended up watching a cut that had been edited, I think, like for broadcast. So a lot of the scenes had been <laughs> edited around and I actually kind of liked that better. I was like, I have a sense of what happened in this scene and potentially, I'm not giving anything away, potentially how gruesome it might have been, but actually for not being able to see it was actually interesting. So if you're going to do this and you're going to make a list of things you've never seen, Uh, Just be careful if you decide to watch a broadcast version of a film or a real version of a film. Uh, This is where I could insert a joke about Splash, but I won't. I was going to say, yeah. Um, Otherwise, your favorite moments might be covered in a pile of fur, and uh, that might happen to you. But just be careful. I I feel like this is both a deep cut and a be careful. Like, just know that if you're not watching it on something that's uncensored that you're going to get you might not you may not see classic moments or scenes that people are referencing in their everyday lives. So that's yeah. both a deep cut and some deep advice. Yeah, if you <laughs> watch Alien this. on an airplane, you are not going to know what yes. other people are talking about. Although Alien <laughs> on an airplane is probably like 15 minutes long. It's just the cat. It's just the cat running around, Jonesy. It's just Jonesy running around the air, the you know the the spaceship, and that's the entirety. Somewhere of the film. on YouTube, there is a cut of Alien that's just Jonesy. <laughs> there will be. By next week, there will definitely be just be John C. running around. So interestingly, my deep cut is tangentially related to your deep cut. So Alien, Excellent. Ridley Scott movie. Aliens, James Cameron movie. My deep cut produced by James Cameron. Strange Days, Catherine B- Bigelow. I just, I'm, or Bigelow. Uh, I loved this movie in high school. It, it was a total flop. Uh, most people know Catherine Bigelow for a bunch of her later movies, which are great. Her Locker is great. Zero Dark Thirty is great. She's a phenomenal, like, accomplished, great filmmaker. Strange Days, 
movie from earlier in her career. I don't think it was her first movie, but I think it was like one of the first big budget movies she did. Like $42 million. It didn't do well, but it's super fun. It's like a gritty L.A. noir. It came out in 95. It was set in 99. It's like a future where you can experience other people's memories using this like brain spider thing. And the film is all built around trying to use other people's memories to solve a crime. I think it's totally worth taking a look at. That's going to be my uh, Strange Days. And the reason why I was thinking about Strange Days particularly is I was thinking about um, Y2K was this whole thing that still gets talked about in the way that we're still going to talk about 2020. And this was like a movie looking forward to Y2K. I mean, 95 is so early that I actually don't even know if they make any jokes about the Y2K bug in it. I don't think those jokes became part of movies until 98, 99. But like it was looking forward to the turn of the millennium. And uh, the turn of the millennium is sort of a funny thing to look back on because now in 2020, looking at the year 2000, this, what 2020 feels like with like weird pandemics and being locked inside and nuclear war almost breaking out and all that stuff is kind of what we thought would happen in the year 2000, but then it didn't, but it's happening now. But it's happening now. I was hoping to have a quibby quick a deep cut, a quick cut, but I spent 30 minutes on the quibby app and I can recommend nothing of what I saw. <laughs> Not even Shape of Pasta? Uh, honestly, I don't care that much about pasta shapes. <laughs> I remember you talked about it last week, so I had to ask if it was worth Well, I watched out. that at the Sundance party in January, so I already knew oh, I didn't right. like it because I was literally like, <laughs> like, I'm aware that there's some different flavors in your, like, I'm more interested in what's in the pasta, like a buckwheat pasta versus a farro pasta versus a, like whole wheat pasta, like that I can taste. I'm like, ooh, this is different. But, like, does a spaghetti taste that different from, like, uh, an elbow taste that different from a penne? <laughs> like, they hold the sauce a little differently, but, like, I'm not a – I'm just not that into pasta shapes. It's just – it's it's not the kind of thing that would ever cross my mind. Like, pasta shapes is – it it just it, – it's a joke idea for a TV show. There were a few other shows I really wanted to like, but nothing uh, – got me yet i did not because it's you can't really search it's a weird card system where like they show you these cards and you swipe to try and find stuff you like yeah, like a dating app yeah but it's vertical and it's weird um i'm really i love ron funches i hear he has a show i haven't found it yet i will try and ro watch the ron funches show before next week because ron funches is amazing so i got no quibby do you have a, qu a quibby quick cut no <laughs> i want to but I actually want to watch them. I'm See, the thing is about Quibi right now, and we talked about this last week, is I'm trying to limit my phone usage. Like, I'm trying to, you know, interact with larger screens or my family and trying to cut down on looking at my phone. And so if I could watch Quibi's content on something else, I would might consider that. They have announced that they are going to support that soon. They're working they on did? it. They did? Okay. Yeah, then I broke. might go, you know, I might start watching it then because... You know, I watched, this is embarrassing. I feel like I finally watched Westworld on a proper TV with a subwoofer. And I'm like, I'm never going back to watching it on a laptop again in my life. And and I feel like that's what I feel about. And I know that could be, is designed to watch on your phone and probably with headphones. But I, I'm trying not to do that as much. And I want to see the detail. Like, I want to see, like, the... Can you imagine watching Game of Thrones on your phone only? Like, I, you know, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Like, I want to be able to see what everything is happening and having it buffer through. And um, and so that's where I'm at with Quibi right now. 
we can wrap up with an Ask No Film School. So Fabian Belser asks, which IRE values should I be aiming at for real estate videos? Hi, I'm pretty new to filmmaking and I just started doing real estate videos. I have a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 6K and I just watched a video about using false color. What IRE Mm. values should I be aiming for when I'm shooting interior or exterior? Thank you. IRE stands for the International Radio Engineers and it's uh, the, it's the like signal level measure that you get in false color. So, you know, when you look at a waveform monitor and it's got zero to 100 on the side, or when you're learning about false color and one color is zero to 10 and another color is 10 to 20. And, you know, often you have um, a, a color like red means 9100 and blue means zero to 10. And you'll have like green at like 70 or something. Um, these are the false color tools and the waveform monitor tools we use to set exposure. The important thing is not what IRE you want the whole image. It's what's in front of the camera. So for instance, the classic thing we often say is usually you want flesh tones at like 65, 70 IRE. It's a very common thing. So if I'm doing a normal interview shot, it's not like a film noir where someone's supposed to be in shadow. I've got someone sitting in front of the camera and I've got a nice light on their face and it's a nice soft light and I'm setting up my exposure and my, um, and I have green set to 70, I usually want some green on their face because it lets me know that they're sort of right in the zone where they should be in terms of IRE. Because, you know, we think of middle gray as usually landing around 43, 44 IRE, and we usually want skin tone like sort of a stop over or one and a half, you know, a little bit over middle gray is pretty common for flesh tone depending on how bright someone is. So the question isn't, how bright do you want your image? It's what is in your image. So for instance, you say you're doing real estate work. If you're doing a big outside shot where you're looking at a big white house, well, you don't want the white house down at 50 IRE because that's down close to middle gray. That's going to look really dim. It's going to look really dingy. You're going to want that white house like up at like 85 or 90 IRE. If it's this, you know, you never want to go to hundred IRE um, because you're anytime you go to hundred IRE or actually on most cameras, like 110 depending upon how they handle super whites, you're going to lose information. You're going to lose detail. You're not going to get that detail back later. So, you know, an easy trick is you want to be as bright as you can be without being overexposed. Um, That's called shooting to the right. It doesn't work in all scenarios. It's beginner's advice, but you're a beginner. So that's the advice is, you know, you want to get, you know, as bright as you can without clipping. And you want to make sure you're preserving all that nice picture detail that you can Mm -hmm. because it's always easier to darken video than it is to brighten video when you darken video you don't tend to get artifacts when you brighten video you tend to get artifacts if you're shooting an indoor shot of like a nice bedroom and there's no like big light shafts coming in the windows um you know it might be that your most of your image is between 50 and 70 ire um, but then if you've got a big light shaft coming in a window in that bedroom you might want to let that light shaft get all the way to 95 so understanding IRE is is about, and understanding false color is about understanding that you're going to have all of these different tones in your image and you want to base your exposure based on where you want those tones to land in your final image. So uh, I hope that answers your question. Do you have anything else you want to throw in there? For someone that's new to filmmaking, if they are not familiar with IRE, what should they start doing? What can you do to bring yourself up to speed? Um, or if they're just starting and, and they have a black pocket 
camera and they want to shoot. Um, are there other settings they should look at if they're not as familiar with IRE to get things right? Well, That's I, my question. I'm going to say <laughs> I I probably shot a lot of video for a couple of years without knowing what IRE was. So yeah, like yeah. it was definitely not some. It was not one of the first things I learned. And false color was only. I remember the first camera I used with false color. I'd probably been shooting for eight or ten years before false color became a tool that was showing up on sets. So. The first tool I learned when I first started shooting video was a tool called Zebras, which they yes. have in Blackmagic Pocket. And it's a it's a nice, simple tool. And what a zebra is, is a zebra is a little stripey line that will show up on your image when that part of the image is overexposed. And you can set it in, you know, you can set it at 90 or 95 or 100 IRE. And what I like about a zebra is, you know, when you're doing that basic exposure trick, when you're doing the like, I'm going to make it as bright as I can without clipping, and then... Um, what you could do is you could set your zebras to 95 and you, you make your image brighter, brighter, brighter until you see zebras. And then you make it a little darker again with your aperture. Yep. And then you're like, oh, I have something that is bright as it can be without clipping. And, um, and sometimes you might need a little clipping. Like if you've got a little bright window in the background, letting that clip out is probably worth doing so that you can see what's in the foreground. So you're always making a decision about exposure, but that might be a simpler tool. But what's weird is I feel like false color has become so dominant that a lot of people these days, if you only learned to shoot in the last five years, you might not have really run across zebras. I feel like false color gives you a lot of similar useful information on making sure that you're really placing everything right where you want it to be. Um, yep. You know, go shoot a bunch of stuff. Like just shoot your apartment or your parents' apartment or your buddy's house or whatever, and then look at it, bring it into post, like record settings, pay attention to what you shot, throw it up on the internet, see how it looks. And then like, you'll start to get to know your own camera. Like maybe you like flesh tone today, DIRE. Maybe you think nothing should, you know, so it's a lot of it is also like getting to know what you like. And so, you know, the beauty of a, you know, a camera and a laptop is, you can just do that yourself. So if you're trying to figure yeah. out where you want the IRE, um, I would just go out and I would like shoot and watch it and shoot and watch it and shoot and watch it until you feel like you've got a sense of where you want it to be. Fair point. And you can say you can probably save that preset. Yeah. You know, once you decide what you like in your camera. Yeah. So that you can use it the same, you know, the same thing every time. All right. That has been the No Film School podcast for COVID week five. I'm Charles Hain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Charles Hain. You can check out my web series, which is on the platform called Ficto, which is coming to Amazon Prime and coming to Vimeo VOD at saltypirate.tv. There's a trailer there. I've also written a couple books, uh, Color Grading 101 and Business and Entrepreneurship for Filmmakers. I also wrote a book on bikes called um, The Urban Biking Handbook. So I should plug that. I never plug that, but I love nice. that book. So. I am attempting to write, but maybe not a full-length book right now, Charles. <laughs> this is Michelle Delator. I am coming to you from a closet in the Bay Area. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at mdelator, M-D-E-L-A-T-E-U-R. Thank you for submitting to NFS 60. We look forward to having another challenge soon. Um, until then, please stay safe and have some fun viewing our quick cuts, long cuts, and NFS 60. See you guys next week.